Happy Discipleship Sunday to you this morning. I need to start this morning with a uh, confession here. Uh, I need you all to confess to me. How many of us in this room have probably done something in our life where we're worthy of being put in a video like that? Anybody got some mistakes they'd rather... You're glad there wasn't a video camera rolling when it all took place? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that video is actually nine minutes long on YouTube, believe it or not, and there's hundreds of videos like that. Uh, the funny thing to me was that guy trying to get on that raft or, I don't know, dinghy, whatever you call those little flotation devices in that pool. In those nine minutes, he tries 11 times to get on there. All right. Uh, do you guys want to know how it ends? Yeah, he doesn't make it. He doesn't. It keeps going on. But it's easy to sit back and laugh at people like that, right? Say, oh my gosh, can you believe these people, what they're doing? I mean, talk about idiots. How do they get on a video like that? But the truth is, we've all been there, right? Anybody made a mistake before? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that there are some, it's safe to say, uh, there are some lessons that are readily learned the hard way, right? I'm pretty sure anybody in that video, including the two guys on the go-kart behind the truck, right? They're not going to try that again, are they? I mean, I'm amazed they were standing upright afterwards. That's, that's incredible. But they've learned a lesson, and because they've learned it the hard way, they're not going to have to worry about going through that same struggle again. They've got some wisdom Hopefully that they're not going to have to worry about that again. Uh, but we all have that. We all have that. And there are lessons that we all have to learn the hard way from time to time. And for 16 weeks now, we as a church, uh, Lutheran Church of Hope, and all of our campuses have been doing a series called The Story, where we're working through the Bible, not necessarily as it's written, uh, per se, like the order of the books, but we're working it through the narrative, the story, the plot. So you get the beginning in the Garden of Eden, and uh, you end with... Uh, Jesus' crucifixion, and then the church being born, and eventually with Revelation, which talks about Jesus coming back someday. So we're trying to get the whole kit and caboodle together there. Uh, and as we've been through this, we're halfway now. So good job, everybody. We're halfway through our journey. Week 16 out of 31 weeks. And I feel like you can boil everything that we've learned to this point, especially about the nation of Israel. You can boil it down to one point, right? Well, probably two. God has a lot of patience. And two, it's really hard for even the nation of Israel to learn even when it's the hard way. I mean, when we learn through pain and agony, and I'm convinced I see this every day with my kids, I mean, I say, hey, get off that chair. You might break your face. What do they do? They climb on the chair and almost break their face. Don't touch that stove. Well, so far, two of the three have touched the stove, and the third one isn't tall enough or old enough to have to worry about that yet. But it's just this human nature story. And we see it over and over and over again uh, with the nation of Israel. And to be honest, it just, it's just getting kind of old. I mean, at least uh, as a preaching team, and we had our creative team meeting the other night, we are talking about what are we going to... I mean, it's really hard to come up with creative angles on all this stuff because I feel like people are learning the same lesson each week. They say, God says something like, don't worship other gods. You know, follow my instructions exactly as I've given them to you. I'm giving, you, giving them to you for a reason. Follow them as closely as you can, and yet they still biff it and don't, don't make it. And so there are consequences. Well, as we keep going through this, the, the reality is there are lessons that we have to learn the hard way. And unfortunately, this week as well, for the nation of Israel, this week is no exception. So let's jump right into the story. Uh, if you have your story Bible, we're going to be on page 219. If you uh, have a life... Uh, Abundant Life Bible, we are on 2 Kings uh, chapter 17. So, and, and as we kind of get into this, you have to understand that the nation of Israel, originally the people that started this, this long journey with God, 
Uh, God's people started with a man named Abraham, and it was his descendants, and eventually they're in Egypt, and they were led out, and they've, they've been on this journey together. Well, God's constantly, as I said a minute ago, has been warning them, follow my instructions. Do not worship other gods. You are my people. That's the number one commandment that he has is, is keep, keep God God. Don't, don't make other things or other people or whatever gods. And yet, as we're going to see in the story, that's exactly what they do again. And so they've split into two kingdoms now. There's a north, which is still called Israel. There's a south, it's called Judah. And they just, they just really aren't doing very well with all of this. And by the time we get to the king Hosea, uh, who ends up being what uh, ends up being the final king of the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, uh, things have just gotten pretty bad. And you know it's bad when the title is called The Beginning of the End, right? Of the kingdom of Israel. Uh, and I want to put a chart up here on the screen really quick just to make my point visually. Again, somebody, as they've been reading through this narrative, and this is a chart just kind of of the time that's elapsed as this northern kingdom has been around. Uh, on the bottom of the other half of this, you can't see there's Judah is underneath there, uh, which, you know, David and Solomon were part of that tribe. And so when they split in two, they started tracking this. And don't pay attention so much to the boxes with all the king's names in it. Uh, I mean, it's important that you get them in order, but it doesn't matter if they go up or down. But look at that green line. I don't know how they quantified this or how they did it. Maybe they just guessed. But that green line tells you kind of the chart of the spiritual health and growth and obedience and, you know, spiritual goodness of these people, their ability to listen to God. And what is that line doing? It's going down, right? It's Israel's decline. It's exactly what you don't want your 401k to do, right? You want it to, it'd be nice to go up. And, and what I love is there's that little blip. There was just a little bit of hope like there is for for all of us every once in a while. We get this little glimpse. It's like my golf game, you know, a little glimpse of hope. Uh, but what does it do right afterwards? It keeps going back down on the trajectory. So that's where these people are as we dive into this story today. Uh, and what's happened is the king of Assyria, I mean, Israel is surrounded by these powerful nations. You got Assyria on one side, you got Babylon on the other, and, and God ends up using them to kind of help his people learn and experience some some tough lessons because, again, Israel is a nation that seems like has to learn things the hard way to get anything through their thick skulls. So uh, as, as Assyria comes up, uh, the nation of Israel gets a little nervous about that, so they make a deal with Egypt and they just say, hey, we should be partners and we should fight Assyria together. But the thing is, you know, like any bad love triangle, uh, Egypt tells Assyria and you know, there ends up being a war. So, so this is what happens. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria. So that's, that's the area that the, the northern uh, tribes occupied. And he deported the Israelites to Assyria. Now he settled them in Halah and Gozan on the Habar River and in the towns of the Medes. All this took place, and this is an important thing for us to learn this morning. All of this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God who brought them up out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, which we talked about before. They worshipped other gods. And they did wicked things that aroused the Lord's anger. They worshipped idols, though God had given them very specific instructions not to. And here's the bottom line about these people. God did all of these things, but it says there in the middle of the page, but they would not listen. And were as stiff-necked as their ancestors who did not trust the Lord their God. So stiff-necked people, not talking about needing to go to the chiropractor, I'm talking about pride, this idea that it's, 
they're not going to be told what to do. They're going to do their own thing. They're going to go their own way. No matter what God does for them, they're going to go a different way. And just like any decision we make in life, when we pick a path, there are going to be consequences. And obviously the goal is to pick the right path so the consequences are favored uh, and helpful instead of uh, negative. And so we figure out these are the consequences that they experience. So the people of Israel were taken from their homeland into exile in Assyria. And they are still there, at least at the time this book was written. And then we have consequence number two right after it. The Lord was very angry with Israel and perhaps most importantly, removed them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah was left. So God had two kingdoms going into this chapter of people that were his people that were following him. And by the end of the second page of this thing, there's only one. Things are not looking good for Israel. And again, they're a nation that needs to learn their lessons the hard way. They just couldn't seem to figure it out uh, to avoid making mistakes to get it right. So it's just interesting how they've gone through this process. I mean, on that chart, there are 19 kings. All of them are idolatrous. 19 times they had to learn this lesson and they were so comfortable with where things are at. It's the tragedy of the situation that they didn't even realize that it was their hearts and their disobedience to God that got them into this. They just thought it was a political thing. All of this, when I look at this, it makes me ask the question, and I want to present this to you today. Are you learning as you go in life? Do you feel like as you go, you learn lessons? You know, you hit your thumb with a hammer. You know, you try not to do that again, right? You're learning. But what about the big stuff? What about the big decisions you're making in life? What about the long-term focus that you have? Do you feel like God's teaching you anything? Now, today is Discipleship Sunday, so it's kind of what we're talking about. Where is God leading you? What's he saying to you? And how are you responding to that? Are you going the way of Israel did here and you're doing your own thing? Are you taking time to invest in what God's plan and direction is? We're taking a moment to focus on what God's been teaching us this year, but we're also taking some time to think about growth. What does it look like to be a growing person? What does it look like to be someone that grows spiritually, especially in following and, and reproducing the life of Jesus in our own life? We happen to believe that Jesus had some good things to say and lived a life that was worth imitating. And so we asked this morning, how's, how's that going for you? Now, as I hear the word grow, I think of a conversation I got to have with my four-year-old Gwyneth uh, earlier this week as we were sitting and enjoying a delicious breakfast. I'm sitting uh, on this side of the table and Gwyneth's sitting right over there and she's four, so she's just kind of hanging out and telling funny jokes that I'm supposed to laugh at and having a good time. And, and I kind of look at the clock and I realize, hey, Gwyneth, you got to finish your cereal. You got to get your coat on and your shoes on. We got to get in the, the car and we have to get uh, to preschool. I mean, right? Preschool. Who wouldn't love to go back to preschool where you get to spend the entire time singing fun songs, coloring pictures? They feed you snacks. I mean, come on. You get to take a nap. I mean, how awesome is preschool? And so I'm like, Gwyneth, are you excited to go to preschool? And she just kind of is over here on the side of the table and she just got her arms folded and she's like, no, I'm not going. And I'm sitting over here and I'm thinking, I want to say, yes, you are. You just don't realize it yet. 
But instead, I'm like, well, why? What's going on? I mean, has the teacher just been giving you too much homework? Are the kids not being nice to you? I mean, you know, what's going on? You having a hard time? And she just looks at me, you know, kind of one of these like funny looks. And she's like, are we really having this, this conversation, Dad? So she, she didn't ever actually answer me. And as I'm sitting there, I'm starting to get frustrated and kind of angry. And, you know, I'm, by this time, I've taken the dishes and I'm putting them uh, in the sink. And I just, I just kind of started thinking to myself, like, she has no idea preschool. I mean, first of all, it's got to be fun. I mean, I've looked in the windows of the classroom. It looks like a really happy place. But I also started thinking about, like, why do we go to school to begin with? And I started thinking about her journey and, and the fact that, I mean, she's four now, but in 20 years from now, if, if she were just to cut school out of her life completely, she would be a completely different person, right? She's got all this potential in front of her. Amazing potential. I, I happen to think so anyway. And yet, if she doesn't finish preschool and doesn't go to kindergarten, then she's not really going to learn how to read, at least well. And if she doesn't learn how to read, she's not going to get to experience things like God's Word. I mean, she's not going to get to experience books or the fun stories that I had growing up and and love spending time with. I mean, she's not going to get to socialize with people in the same way. She's not going to learn things like math or science or, or any of these fundamentals that we learn in school. I mean, in short, she's going to be a completely different person. And in reality, to some extent, she's going to be exactly the same at 24 as she was at four, unless she goes through this process. Now, she'll learn some things, practically speaking, of course, right? Because we all make mistakes and have to learn from it. And, and we learn a lot as, as we rub shoulders with other people. But truth be told, I want my daughter to go to preschool. I mean, I, I want her to go to college. I want her to be as as high of a child of God. I mean, just as, as high achieving or just fulfilling God's vision for her life as she can be. And so as I'm thinking all this and I'm kind of kicking around all these different ideas in my head, I think, I, don't, I wasn't even thinking, I just kind of blurted out. I just said, Gwyneth, we are a growing family. We grow in this family. You know, it worked. She got down from the table and she's like, okay, I'll go put my coat on and boop, out the door we went. I don't know. You never know what you're going to get with her. But, but it was interesting, right? I mean, I was thinking, and, and that says something about my household, right? It's not okay if you're a part of my family to be the same person a year from now that you are now, right? You're supposed to learn something. As humans, we grow, we mature, we become new people. And isn't the same thing true for us as, as, as a body of people, as this spiritual family that comes together every week in at least one capacity? Maybe it's weekend worship. Maybe it's in a life group. Maybe it's just seeing each other out and about and around the town. But isn't that true of us, that we should be a growing family as well? I think it's absolutely true because it's part of God's story. I mean, go back through the last 16 weeks of what we've been talking about. Isn't God in the process of taking all of these people Look at Abraham, Moses, Joshua, you name it, any of the people. And what do they all say when God comes to them the first time? Like, I, I can't do that. And yet somehow God calls them out of their comfort zones into this journey. And as they keep moving through this process day after day with God, they end up becoming somebody completely different. Somebody that looks a lot more like the heart and character of Jesus. So yes, the Hermansons are a growing family. And I know some of us are growing in ways that we wish we weren't, you know, and, you know, holiday meals and everything else. But, but I'm talking spiritually. I'm talking emotionally. All of these things. And it's part of our spiritual family as well. And so I want to ask you also this morning, 
How have you grown in the last year? Have you ever stopped to think about that? I mean, it's January, it's a new year, so maybe, maybe you have spent a little time reflecting. But the thing is, I bet you're, you've grown in some powerful way, some amazing way, and God has developed something new in you. But here's the thing, the journey isn't over. Constantly, Jesus is inviting us into new realms of life to learn new lessons. And that's the nature of what it means to be part of a growing family. Now, last week, John, what a jerk. I mean, he offered a quiz about the mission statement of Lutheran Church of Hope. I mean, who would do that, right? So I'll just give it to you. All right, the mission statement, yep. Let's say this together. It's to reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. Man, you guys sound excited about that. All right? Now, all right, I will give you a quiz because I feel like it. So, all right, what I want you to do, is what, we have a, a vision statement. It's who God has called us to be as a community, as Lutheran Church of Hope and Des Moines as well. I mean, as the bigger, the bigger family, but also the smaller unit of family. I mean, God calls us to be something very specific. So we have three words. And I'll give you a hint. There's some actions to go with it. One is like this, one's like this, and another one is like this. All right? So take 10 seconds with your neighbor. See if you can remember what those are. What are those three words that God calls us to be? Go. All right. What do you guys got? You work here. That doesn't count. That's required. Anybody? You remember? Shout it out. What? Spirited? Growing? Yeah, we're talking about growth. It better be growing. Christ-centered. Yes. Let's say this together, but this time I want you to sound like you mean it and you're excited about it, all right? God calls us to be a spirited, growing, and Christ-centered community filled with hope. Absolutely, he does. It's the business that God is in. It's who he's called us to be. And today we're just talking about the growth part. What what are the ways that you've been growing? Have you been growing? And what are the things that you need to do to be in relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ to grow? Because growth is part of God's story. And yet, as we read today about this nation of Israel, it seems like growth, I mean, progress, maturing, growing up, getting it right every once in a while, it's not really a process that they're super good at. And the thing is that the, the kingdom to the south, Judah, had a front row seat to watch this. So do you think they got it right at least? Well, we'll wait and we'll find out. Because as they spend time watching this, they begin to realize, hey, something's going on. And their king, Hezekiah, everybody say Hezekiah. Hezekiah. He uh, is a different kind of king. Now, if I had the chart of Judah up there, you know, he's one of the guys that takes it screaming up like that because he is a righteous king, but he fails the nation of Judah in one very important means. He doesn't reproduce himself in terms of his heir, his son, uh, has a completely different character. When it comes to worshiping idols, he's got the opposite attitude as his dad does. And so Judah, for a while, goes on this trajectory of going up and up and up, and yet at the same time, as soon as they get up there and they transfer kings, it comes crashing back down. So as Hezekiah is forced in this situation, though, before, before he's done, the Assyrians come and attack them as well. And you can see that he's a different kind of guy because he takes a different approach. Uh, and this is going to be on page 222 where he's just talking about uh, the Assyrians have been kind of knocking at their door and saying, hey, 
We're here and we're about to take over your country, surrender immediately. And instead of just asking it directly, basically what they do is send a messenger. The king sends a messenger that says, uh, he says, what are you basing this confidence of yours on? Why are you resisting surrendering to us? And as he goes through, eventually they part ways and they come back together and they part ways again. And finally, Assyria sends a letter to Hezekiah. And here's the difference between Hezekiah and the other kings that have been ruling these nations. It says, it says in 2 Kings chapter 19, it says, Hezekiah received that letter from the messengers and read it. And when he got it, he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before him. And he prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, you have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words that have been sent to ridicule the living God. And he goes on and he talks about these other nations. God, you weren't with them, but we know that you're with us. They've been crushed by this enemy. This is a real enemy, but we know that you're going to rescue us. And sure enough, the very night... It says that an angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. And when the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So the army turned, broke camp, and withdrew. So Judah takes a different approach because they have a king with a different approach. At least in this instance, they don't have to learn things the hard way. But eventually, God knows that they're going to go south and things are going to get worse. And so he decides to do what God always does. When he sees people in danger, when he sees people getting ready to stray off the path, he sends some sort of message, some sort of messenger to keep us in line. And that's exactly what God does with the, uh, the prophet Isaiah. Now, Isaiah has an incredible story of how he becomes a prophet. And essentially what happens is he experiences the presence of God in such a powerful way that he can't help but be transformed. But Isaiah's got a tough job. I mean, he needs all of God's help that he can get. Because he's basically got to go and tell this nation of Judah that they're going to have uh, some, some disaster come upon themselves. And on page 225, he says, See now the Lord Almighty is about to take from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support, their food, their water, their heroes, their warriors, their judges, their prophets, pretty much everything they have. And he says, woe to them. This is Isaiah's words to Judah. He says, woe to them. They have brought disaster upon themselves. So if you're this nation of Judah and you have this prophet running around telling you and you begin to see things come true as Isaiah keeps prophesying and prophesying, you think that's it. We are doomed. They've had chance after chance to repent and yet they continue to miss it. But for some reason, this time around, the story doesn't end there. Not only does Isaiah bring the tough news telling us the truth, but he also brings a story of hope. And he says, in, this, in the time of my favor, he's speaking on behalf of God to Judah. He says, in the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land to say to the captives, come out. And to those in darkness, be free. Right? So Isaiah's been sent to these people and they're not ready to hear what he says. They don't have a choice though because God's made up his mind. They're headed for demise. So, so Isaiah tells them the tough news that this army's going to come and overtake and they're going to be sent into exile. 
but he also brings hope. Isaiah had one job to do, was to tell the truth. And God does the exact same thing with us today. And that's part of the reason why it's so important that we be in community, because God uses the people around us to deliver the truth that we need to hear. The tough news and the exciting news, the news filled with hope. Who do you have in your life right now that loves you enough to tell you the honest truth? No sugarcoating it. They maybe, hopefully, will do it with love, as, uh, as we prefer, but will tell you the truth. I mean, the real hard stuff that you need to address in your life. God loves us enough not just to warn us, not just to forgive us, but God loves us enough to send someone after us to get us back on the right path. And when we enter the presence of God, together, especially as a community, we can't help but be, be changed and life groups, the small groups that we have here at Hope, are no exception. We need to be in fellowship with one another. Now, we call them life groups, and I want to just be really clear about this title because I think some people have gotten the wrong idea. We call them life groups not because it's a life sentence and you're stuck with it for life, okay? All right, we're talking about small groups, doing the Word together, praying, spending fellowship. We're going to talk about that more in just a minute. But we call them life groups because when we come together, Jesus says, wherever two or more are gathered, there I am also. And when God shows up, when Jesus shows up, it's very powerful. But if, if you don't want to take my word for it, maybe you should just check out this promo video that we had some guys do for our small groups. In the winter of 2008, Elroy Jacobs and his brother-in-law Wyatt entered the remote icy tundra of northern Saskatchewan to make a documentary film about social isolation. The team was never heard from again. Later that summer, their footage was discovered by a group of caribou hunters. What you are about to see is that very same footage. It's a cold world out there, folks. And I'm not talking about global warming. I'm talking about the winter of the soul. I have no idea what you're talking about, but it is cold right here. It, it is cold. It's cold right here. And right here we are in lovely northern Saskatchewan. Also known as Winter's Bedpan. We are here to experience the world at its coldest. A beautiful metaphor of how we have cut the heart of humanity and all we do is care more about ourselves than anything else than anybody else. Oh yes, my friends, it is cold. I have no idea what your flowery, artsy words mean. <coughs> but I am freezing. <gasps> Where can we find the warmth of community? Like what's found in the good book of 1 John 1, 7, where it says, we must have rich, full fellowship, like that you'd find in a small group. Yes, let's go join a small group, one that meets indoors where it is warm right now. And lest I remind you of Romans 12, 16, where it says, we must live in harmony. Which is just the opposite of what I'm about to do to you right now. And unlike my compadre right here, we must do what James 4.11 says, and we must speak with wholesome words to one another. Speaking of wholesome words, parents, please cup your children's ears, for I'm about to let go with a slew of words to express just how cold I am. I'm talking words that are generally reserved for hockey players and pageant moms. We gotta stop worrying so much about Botox and this, and there's an app for that, and text instead of talking, and we want things now, 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 and Facebook until we're foul. All right, my friend, you're just proving my point here. You're just proving my point. No, I am calling 911. My phone is frozen. It doesn't work. 
up the lizard feeling in my lower extremities. Hand down. I just don't think people care anymore. Why don't you care about me? Don't get lost in the cold. Join a small group. It's what Wyatt and Elroy would have wanted. So there you go. There you go. Now, I don't see all of you jumping up and down saying, hey, I want to be in a life group because of that video. Maybe that was a little bit over the top. Uh, but there's some good stuff in there, isn't there? I mean, there is something that happens when we come together in groups to dive into God's word together, to be in community together. And it's a cold world out there, but we need that fellowship. We need, we need the community of God to surround us in order to, to make it through uh, life because we're better when we're together. It's as simple as that. So the thing is, if we're going to be a community that is spirited, that is growing, that is Christ-centered, then we need to have people around us that, allow, that tell us the truth, that, that allow God to speak to us, that give us those reminders that, with the help with that. We need people in our lives that can share this tough news with us. But we also need people around us that can just remind us about the power of the gospel. I mean, sometimes we need a word of challenge, but there are so many times in life where we just need somebody to provide some support and some, some comfort. So just to talk a little bit more about life groups and, and just hear what's been going on with them kind of around the church, I invited uh, my buddy Chuck to come share a little bit. So everybody say, hi, Chuck. So uh, Chuck is the man, and let me just tell you how I know Chuck is the man, because he's wearing pastel like I am. Spring's coming. <laughs> there you go. We didn't even plan that, but isn't that funny? So, all right, Chuck. You did too. <laughs> Chuck, why don't you tell people, because I know you don't normally go to this service, so why don't you tell uh, these fine folks about a little bit about you, maybe just how did you end up at Hope Des Moines, uh, and then we'll get into some of your small group stuff. Well, I ended up here because I was in a desert for a while. I, I quit going to church for a while because church can be, well, I just had a bad experience in church. I quit going for a while. And I knew I needed to get back into fellowship. So I went to Big Hope, which I really loved, but I didn't meet anybody. So I came here to kick the tires. I was just coming one time. I signed up for a life group that day. <laughs> My wife and I both did, and it was weird. We looked at each other driving home go that was weird <laughs> but sure I, I was here one day and i ended up with bill and matt and we were in a my first life group together met a bunch of great guys and that was a start awesome now i know you've been in a variety of groups the last couple of years i think but uh and you're also doing some leadership stuff but maybe just tell us a little bit about you know what's what's god been teaching you uh your experience being a life group how how has that helped you grow spiritually well Right now, I'm in two groups. Uh, I, on Tuesday night, I have this group of guys that I hang with, and there's my guys. Um, it's called Building Brothers, and my buddy Mark got me in this, and I, I ran away from him for a while because he's talking to me about a one-year commitment. And I did it, and it's, it's been incredible. I've got this group of guys who we've actually been meeting for almost a year now. It's, it's a year. We've been at it a year, and we've become friends, we bonded, and we're literally getting involved with each other's lives. I mean, telling each other stuff you don't tell just a stranger, you know? Because usually at church you do this and you go, how you doing, brother? And you go, fine, fine, liar. No, we tell each other how we're really doing, don't we, guys? We tell each other how we're doing, and that's, 
That's really cool. Um, so that's Tuesday night, and then Wednesdays uh, we're doing the story together, and um, that's been amazing because same deal. I'm meeting meeting new people. I met two new people um, Wednesday night. They're here. Yeah, they're there, and. I'm actually making friends, you know, in church, I have friends. Um, one guy that in particular, um, who he and I have become really good friends, kind of threw down a challenge to each other a couple of weeks ago. We both, because we've been hanging together, we found out we both have a similar problem in our life, our family. Um, I, our, we're both estranged from our sister. Um, he has a struggling relationship with his sister, as do I. I haven't talked to my sister in months. So we both decided we'd do something about it. And we threw down a challenge. It was kind of funny how we did it. I think Dave Stills almost had a heart attack. Because when you love people, you get in each other's faces, right? So we both decided that we would make a commitment to talk to our sisters. And I said, by next week. Well, that's not how God really works. And, you know, you know. Not don't on our timetable no. all the time, right. But yesterday, yesterday, I was driving down the road and um, I called my sister. I, I haven't talked to her for months. Uh, I, we're not the best of friends, but you know what? She's my sister and I love her and I got to do something about it. So because I've got people in my life that I'm honest with, we actually, um, God actually honored that prayer, you know? Mm -hmm. And I just, you know what? When I started going here, I started hearing this word community like four years ago, and I've never heard that word so much in my life. And I thought it was one of those cute catchphrases, you know, like Christians do, like what would Jesus do? Or, you know, remember all the things. Every, you guys know what I'm talking about, little phrases, and we do these little whatever. And I figured it was one of those. But you know what? It's real. It really is real. Um, I've been in community with several groups now. Started out four years ago with Bill and Matt, and and then I've been in you know been in a Bible study with Keith here, and now I'm with these guys in this whole row. I got people in my life who care about me, and I care about them. We pray for each other, and and things happen. Yeah, things happen. Very awesome. You guys, let's give let's give them a hand. Thank you very much, Chuck. So just as Chuck was kind of demonstrating, I mean, when, when we come together in community, I mean, God has things that he wants to do. God has words of challenge that he wants to deliver to us, but also words of encouragement, of support, of hope. Uh, and things happen that may not happen in, unless you put yourself in that kind of a context. And, and I'm well aware of the fact that being in community, it can get messy, I mean, it can be more work than it seems like it's worth sometimes. And it can be a risk. But I think uh, we can have story after story up here that just makes that point that it's worth it. I mean, it's part of God's story, and he directly calls us to be in community and fellowship with one another because it makes a difference in our life. And, it, and in being in community, does those things that Isaiah did as he went to the nation of Judah. I mean, he, he shares the truth when it's tough, but he also shares the truth when it brings hope. And we need those people in our lives. But the best part about this whole story today is that the words that Isaiah brought don't just deliver those messages about the exile and those things that are coming, but 
towards the end of the prophecy, the, the book in chapter 53, he actually lays out the clearest picture that we have in the Old Testament. I mean, hundreds of years before the Messiah actually shows up in Jesus Christ, we have this description of who he is and what he's like. And I think as we close today, we're not just going to talk about community day, we're going to do it. And, and I'll explain uh, when I wrap up here in just a minute, we're going to sing a song and then we're going to have an opportunity to, you see, there's some handprints up on the wall that we're going to share some prayer requests and do a little prayer activity, which, you know, I know some of you are going to be outside of your comfort zones, but that's, you know, I mean, Peter had to walk on water, right? So uh, I feel like walking across the gymnasium floor, I think everybody's going to live. I think everybody will be okay, but, but it is a challenge by choice. But so often we just go through life kind of passing, like, like Chuck was saying, how are you doing? Fine. Well, what would it look like if we in some safe venue share our hearts and what's going on in our lives with one another and lift one another up in prayer and not just in prayer to some God that's distant and far away, but the God that's described here as I read Isaiah 53 again. It's on page 228 if you want to follow along. It's, it's the first part of Isaiah chapter 53. And as I read this, just think about this. Hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth, this is the promise that God brought and the hope that was shared. He says, He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And he was despised and rejected by mankind. He was a man of suffering, a man familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised and we held him and, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and he bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. In a different translation, the Abundant Life translation says he was pierced for our rebellion for our ways, those times when we need to learn the lesson the hard way. It also says he was crushed for our sins. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And this is the best part of this whole text, if you ask me. By his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep who have gone astray, each of us have turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the message that Isaiah brought to a people that had lost everything, including the very nation that they lived in. Yes, it's tough right now, and yes, you probably got what you deserved, but the thing is that God's coming back, and it's going to be even better than it was before. He's painting a picture of this Jesus, this Messiah that's going to come. And I just, I just got to ask you this morning, do you know this guy named Jesus? And not just do you know him, like do you come to church and hear about him on Sundays, but is God a part of your life? Are you following him? Are you having the conversations? Is God speaking to you? Do you get a sense of what God is asking you to do in your life? Because he's a part of it, whether you know it or not. And he gives us the invitation. He gives us the challenge. And it's on us to respond to it. Are you experiencing that in any way? Because if you're not, friends, you are, you are missing the greatest adventure. God wants to do such incredible things in your life. And he's going to start, if he hasn't already, he's going to start today as we continue to worship him. So let's stand together.
and thank God for all that he's done in, in us and through us, through Christ Jesus. God, we say thank you this morning for all that you do. God, for the fact that hundreds of years before, centuries before the Messiah ever walked the earth, God, you knew what was going to happen. You gave your people hope. God, and you, you speak to them. And Lord, as we, as we spend time together as a family, as a community here today, God, I ask that you would speak amongst us, that you would move within us, God. God, give us a clear picture of those areas in our life where we need your glorious presence to heal and to transform things. God, we love you so much and we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the fact that you don't just forgive us, God, but you pull us out of the muck that we're in. You clean us up you make us new and you send us back out with a mission and a purpose that is greater than anything that we have known. God, we thank you for all of these things. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.